Hello everybody, Nick Milligan here. Welcome to the Newcastle Writers' Festival, which has uh, now gone online. Uh, there was, of course, a brief moment when uh, the festival, like a lot of great events, had to uh, cancel because of the pandemic that's uh, turning the, the globe on its head. But we now have this great online edition called Stories to You. And this is one of the original sessions that was a part of the, uh, the initial announcement. Uh, it is called uh, Surf by Day, Jam by Night. In a strange coincidence, it is about a book called Surf by Day, Jam by Night, which is uh, written by the man that joins me now in the online realm, Mr. Ash Quinnold. How are you, Ash? Great. How are you going, Nick? Not too bad. Not too bad. Uh, thank you for being here and being a part of the Newcastle Writers Festival, albeit from a bit of a distance. Yeah, well, it's, um, it's just amazing how everything's turned out. Oh, amazing's one word for it. But uh, it's, a really it's really cool when I heard that this was going ahead. I thought, yeah, why not? That's cool. We can do that. Yeah. And, absolutely. you know, like, I'm, I'm always the guy to look for the positives. And, uh, you know, a lot of the stuff I've been doing for a, uh, for a crust since my life was flipped on its head and I was touring in Spain and... Um, in the middle of a long tour that was going super well. It's always the Murphy's law. <laughs> and I actually had to one morning, the day of a gig, just go, right. Okay. I'm uh, where's the nearest airport. Okay. I'm out. And sure. um, just quickly get out. And that turned out to be the best decision. And it was a decision that had massive financial ramifications, but I'm so glad that I did it. And, um, and then when I arrived back home, it was like, okay, blues fest is canceled. Okay, I didn't think that would be cancelled. They said that won't be. And then as time, as every day rolled on, it was like, okay, now your next six uh, weeks of, I uh, saw six months of gigs are cancelled and um, everything that you had planned for your whole life is cancelled and also your money's cancelled. <laughs> sure. um, so um, I just had to flip into the mode of like starting teaching online and doing gigs how we're doing now. Yeah. So... You know, it, it might be some silver lining that, and it is just probably looking for the silver lining that, you know, things like this can occur. We prove to ourselves that we can do this and we can hold a festival like this. Mm -hmm. I'm sure when the restrictions are lifted, we're going to flood back and love to congregate together as a group. That's really important. But we will learn um, also out of this, all of those things that were a little more theoretical, like they were coming in Zoom. We've been using Skype for years and we've been thinking, I've been thinking for years, oh, you could do a gig online, you know. Sure. But you just never get round to it. But now some of that that we've been forced into will probably stay. And hey, you know, I, I mean, I've been spending so much time with my family. Yeah. Um, and, you know, homeschooling and stuff like that, which is just so, it's really annoying in some ways, but it's precious in others. So um, yeah, I think a lot of good things will come from this. Well, we're, we're talking about this book that you've uh, put out called Surf by Day, Jam by Night. And for people that uh, haven't had a chance to pick it up yet, you talk to 15 uh, individuals uh, about the connection between surfing and music. There's your copy. Um, some, of, some of them are, are rising stars like Leanne Curran and others are bona fide superstars. Like you've got Kelly Slater and, and Jack Johnson in there. And the book does sort of start to um, paint a picture of this uh, very clear connection between music and surfing that's uh, existed for some time. But it does start to go uh, deeper beyond that. You do start to get into a little bit of philosophy and sort of spiritual thinking and uh, positive thinking ways of manifesting goals and uh, ideas of, of success, I guess, and what that looks like for some people. Um, I wanted to ask you, we sort of already launched into it. I'll get, we'll get you to play a song very soon, but um, the lessons that you kind of gathered when you went on this journey to talk to these different people, how are they kind of now applying to this lockdown situation you find yourself in more from a, in a kind of a deeper way, you know, in a way in, in this sort of isolated scenario, are you using it as an opportunity given that you had to cancel this touring and, and make, um, I guess, find the silver lining in some respects. Uh, are you using this as an opportunity to be creative and, and find the positivity in it? Uh, yeah, I mean, that's a massive part of my philosophy. And um, Surf by Day, Jam by Night taught me just 
so much about life and through the writing of that book, um, I was really studying because of where I was at in my life. And I was in a bit of a rut before I started the book. Sure. And um, it, uh, I was looking to achieve more real world success. And I was working on my happiness levels and things like that. So whenever I was interviewing these people who've been successful across multiple fields, I was really trying to, there was something selfish in me <laughs> trying to extrapolate that, you know, like, okay, you know, what are the things that really do work um, for these people and what are the commonalities? And I feel like I did come up with some commonalities that aren't found in such high proportions in the average Joe. Um, and some of them are surprising. Like, I really feel like there was one thing about using, especially Steph Gilmore, but everybody in there. Generally, most of them are pretty joyous people or through their, through their journey, they've realized the importance of joy um, mm -hmm. and building joy. Happiness is something that you can build on build more of you there's there's a little bit of forcing yourself to get into some good habits that lead to your happiness and that was the epiphany one of the epiphanies you know these are all things that you sort of know you you know them but there's different ways of re re-knowing them i find that with any spiritual book or any book about happiness or or um success if if there's a truth in there it'll it'll be something that you've you've already heard in different ways before and that you think, Oh yeah, I know that. And then you always think, yeah, but why aren't I doing it at the moment? You know? <laughs> so one, one of the big things that I learned was that, um, that working hard, working hard, like even that, that, that phrase, it, it sort of got sort of a, sort of a connotation of something that you can't be bothered doing. So it seems too much like hard work, <laughs> sure. but to, but to actually work hard at something, especially if it's your passion, is one of the most wonderful things in the human experience mm. and it makes and i think it is what it is to be human um and i feel like often when we're depressed or we're in a rut it's actually because we're not working hard at something that's important to us mm. and you know like i mean if you're working hard at a nine to five job that gives you no joy and it's just a means to an end um, then that can really be the cause of a rut and depression. Um, but, you know, life should never be a means to an end, just a means to an end. I mean, if your actual survival is in question, you actually think you're not going, you know, you really need to go do this because you won't survive otherwise, then many, maybe it gets a little more meaning and then it might not even be a cause of depression if you're literally running out of food having a job wouldn't be depressing any job because it's more than a means to an end. You really like, okay, I need this. And, but actually for us, we've been pretty privileged and um, we can fall into a rut easily, a bit more easily because life and survival aren't really in question. Mm. So we take that for granted. So what you need to do when you're in that pos fortunate position is you need to find the meaning yourself. You need to be pushing yourself rather than nature pushing you, you know, saying, right, we need to eat. Then you need to have a higher goal. Mm. Um, and so working away at something, it doesn't have to have meaning to the rest of the world, but it gives your life meaning. So like I, in my own career, my music career, I am an aspirer or I wouldn't be a professional musician, but I had sort of let that slip over the years. So I started demanding from myself, but not demand, demanding is probably the wrong word, but like aspiring higher than I thought I had a right to aspire um, because my gaze had drifted a little downwards and, you know, you know, I'm in my forties now, you know, what, am, you know, what am I going to achieve? You know, uh, you know, it's all, you know, mm. that negative thinking, but I actually got a bit cheeky with life and really Steph Gilmore did embolden me in this because you know, I thought this idea, this 
hippie idea of manifesting your dreams and the secret and all this business. You know, I was totally not into that. But then I sort of, I guess I got a bit more cutthroat with it and thought like, who really cares whether this is something that I would like to both, I would be happy to talk about at a barbecue or in a forum like this that we're talking right now. Mm. Who really cares whether I'd be embarrassed or it's not cool or this or that. What really matters is if this shit works. <laughs> and and yeah. the more I interviewed people, I'm already, I was already starting to think that way. And then especially when I interviewed Steph and she said, oh, Callie uses this stuff too, which I didn't actually ask Callie about this stuff. But yeah. um, it's like, okay, there's processes of thinking that really do demonstrably make your life better. And if the belief system is that you can manifest certain things in your life um, that you want, um, so be it. You know, like, and so like with my life, actually from the time of doing the book and getting the book out, my career turned around a lot. Mm. And um, even that getting that stuff in, um, and I didn't get like, I wrote a few things down in a journal um, that I wanted to specific things that were outlandish at the time. Yes. Specific venues that I'd had no right to play <laughs> or to aspire to fill those venues and stuff. But I tell you what, like, in so, and, and those actual things mm. didn't happen on the timeline, I said. But some other things, like, before this... So, you know, in terms of corona and all, before corona, uh, I had a really good run of like in multiple different countries in Europe with different booking agents. That's what I had in process that was really beyond anything I'd achieved before. And I did an album that I talk about at the end of the book with Josh Teske mm. and from the Teske brothers who were smashing it out of the park at the moment. Absolutely. And we were, we were booked to play an amazing um, venue. That's an over a thousand seater which I hadn't been doing those kind of numbers I had earlier in my career, but when mm. I started on this journey, I wasn't. So in a roundabout way, I ended back where my sights had been set and they were out, as I said, they were outlandish goals. So I sort of was getting towards those things. Now that's temporarily dash, but to get to your first question, and I know this <laughs> was a very long, mm. very long answer. I don't believe in, um, I honestly think that what we can focus on now in the time of the coronavirus is the same thing that I was focusing on before, which is the person that you are and the way that you act and the way that you let this affect you should be your priority. So rather than, um, of course, we all wish this was over. That's yeah. a given. Mm. But um rather than spending too much time on wishing that the outside world would be a particular way, I would prefer to put the emphasis on myself to hope for myself to gain the emotional resilience to deal with whatever comes my way. So that's something I can change. I actually can't change things that are out of my control, yep. but there are a lot of things that I can change that make a world of difference to how I would fare in this kind of climate, both on the external and most importantly on the internal. Yeah. Um, so I've just been focusing on those things and I'll be really honest. Uh, you know, I, at the conclusion of the book and during the writing of the book, my habits, my daily habits were um, really great. You know, like um, my use of time was, insanely the best it had ever been like you could understand to you know like to write a book have you written a book before i have yeah i write fiction so yeah so you know all about that yeah it's a process for sure <laughs> so the use of time and for me the use of time whilst i had also set lofty goals for my actual musicianship and i kept pursuing them while i was writing the book mm. um and i was living in bali which that was very lucky, I'll admit. <laughs> um, but um, I was actually um, I was actually surfing a lot every morning, and then um, and so I was getting really fit. 
and I was still improving on my guitar playing, which was hours a day. And I was staying up all night, every night writing. Mm. So I, uh, my processes were really good. I must admit when Corona hit, I thought I was losing my house at first and everything happened. I really did struggle and I haven't 100% recovered at the moment to those great daily habits. Okay. Um, my day, my day, because I really, I've been mentoring people and stuff and I've been saying your daily habits are really important and they need to be in line with your goals and yeah. that will help you to create more happiness, especially in these uncertain times. But my actual discipline for myself has been down a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's one of the things... I'm giving talk- myself a little grace period though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. One of the things you mentioned, um, not at length in the book, but you talk about it particularly with Scott Owen from The Living End, is also giving up alcohol, which seems like it was, it was a, a big thing and is a big thing for lots of people who dare not attempt it. But has that given you back a lot of time, just, just cutting alcohol out of your life? Absolutely massive. <laughs> massive. And I just did a podcast with Scotty as well, and we were talking about it, which we, so that means... In the book, we were checking in. We made a vow together and we were the worst trash bags. Like um, <laughs> we were, we actually toured together and we yeah. were just mania- maniacs. And I saw that story. You came to Newcastle with the Living End Boys. Oh yeah, we were probably being maniacs then. It was a loud geek. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was pretty loud. Um, yeah, um, and we had a good time, but... Um, I'd been doing that for 20 years. And, you know, yeah. when I took up when I took up music, I thought, you know, I remember I did a duo with a really great guitarist and he said to me, you know, my dad said to me, you know, you wouldn't go to work and, you know, just drink a beer and, you know, and, um, you know, so I don't drink at gigs. And I looked at him like, this isn't a job, man. <laughs> what are you doing? I'm going to get a beer. <laughs> I was totally against that thing of like treating music like a job. Sure. And I thought this is a lifestyle and this is, I just had this romanticized notion maybe that it was like, you know, this is me just freewheeling doing my thing, living the dream. Yeah. I'm going to do whatever I want. And I, I kind of stick to that. It's, it, 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 it still is. Now I work super hard. I'm advocating work hard at your passions, but I, I, I am still rebel against seeing it too much as a job, but I give it now. I love my gigs so much more than I was before. Yeah. And it's, and I love it because of the passion and the dedication that I've put in that you don't see. Mm. Then when I get up and play, I like what I'm playing a lot more. Because and I'm 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 experimenting and I'm trying things and I'm tripping over, and um, I'm doing all the things that I did at the start of my career. But I'm 20 years into my career, yeah. And that's that's the vital fuel that if you're gonna if you're gonna get into midlife and you're gonna do the same thing that you did do before, if you're not gonna do a career change to relearn a new skill like writing a book or something. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a good way to do things, but there's another way of keeping things vital. That's that is to give more than you've ever given to your passion. And I, I even find it with surfing. Like I'm a really average Joe surfer, mm. but when I go for a surf, if I just go out there and and I let the quality of the surf and the size of the surf dictate whether it's a good surf or not, that's yeah. one way of surfing. You know. And you give it all over to nature and that's cool in a way. Mm. But if I am actually thinking about my surfing and I actually have some aspiration that I want to do a more, a, a better quality bottom turn and come off the top and rotate my body. Or I think about a specific technique as if I'm a 12 year old grum, like really suddenly I am a grom again i'm a 43 year old grom and i'm thinking yeah yeah i'm gonna put my hand like this and i'm gonna do this off the bottom then when i'm out there and i'm surfing it's just all the world of surfing and that's what uh, brings me to another thing that the book is massively about and the commonality between the two um the two th- loves of mine and um and but you can get this in any way 
it's flow state. Yeah, you mentioned yeah. that in the book, yeah. You know, and that's, um, do you know how to pronounce the guy who invented, uh, the guy who invented pl flow state? Do you know, Mihai Chiklinski? Do, 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 uh, oh, it is the, sure. Oh, yeah, no, uh, Chick sent me high, is it? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Chick sent me high. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. But if you read it, you'll never pronounce it. Um, Hard one, that one. <laughs> me high, chick send me high. Yeah. Um, but but he, you know, he invented that term flow state. Yeah. Um, in you know, it's a positive psychology term, and it's just funny that towards the end of the book, I looked up the definition. I thought I've been saying this so much, I should really <laughs> do. I know what I'm talking about. And yeah. in the definition, I found they were mentioning the two examples. They they were like, you, you know that flow state, you know, the, the state in which you're thinking about nothing else, but the thing that you're doing like mindfulness, I, I can't yeah. remember the exact terminology they used, but, and they said like a jazz musician soloing or like a surfer. <laughs> oh, right. So, yeah. So they mentioned surf by day, jam by night in the definition yeah. of flow state. <laughs> but yeah, I think it's really, that's like maybe the highest form, you know, like our thoughts as, as humans, our ego, the constant thinking mm. can be our massive, it's, it's the greatest talent we have been given and over a lot of the animals in some ways mm. that we have this amazing mind that we can think, but actually it's the biggest source of our pain as well. Our yes. biggest advantage is our biggest source of pain. And so one way that we can get away from that is we could, um, grab a big rock mm -hmm. and smash our head in, in a certain area so that that, you know, prefrontal cortex is, yeah, yeah. And we can walk around going and, and, <laughs> and we'll be free of it and we'll probably be happier. Yeah, or, or we can drink ourselves silly and take all sorts of drugs that are stupefacants yep. uh, or prescription drugs, dull it down. And mm -hmm. that might help as well to sink below consciousness and get away from thought mm. or we can get into a flow state and transcend thinking so you you're free to come back to thought and use your brain effectively mm. when you want to but you're also reaching these transcendent states where thinking is limiting thinking can't even go there you yeah. know like if you had to think about it you'd you'd lose the wave or you wouldn't be able to play that complicated solo yeah, um, you're just so in the moment that you've transcended thinking. And that is one of the most healthy and productive things a human being can do. And, it, and I guess that's what they talk about with mindfulness, you could be washing the dishes. Mm. But if you're able to be if you're, you need a bit of strength for this mental strength for this, but if you can think about nothing else, but okay, look at the soap suds there. And I'm just <laughs> cleaning this off. And I'm in the moment and I could some people are able to achieve a flow state and yeah, I, bow, I, I bow to the person that can wash the dishes in a mindful way. Yeah, sure. I ha, I, I'm not there yet, but um, that I, I think the aim is, I mean, when you could, when you might consider yourself to be a really spiritual person is when you could live your life. Yeah. Where, where you're mindful and you're almost in a flow state with everything that you do. And then when it comes time to think a thought, to plan about what you're going to do about the coronavirus, mm. you use your mind, you yeah. use the tool, and then you put the tool back in the tool belt and you get back into flow state. Sure. And that's what I've been, been encouraging people on Instagram is like, okay, you're going to have to do a lot of planning with the coronavirus and you're going to have some worries and to think about things. But if you can confine those worries and that planning, to distinct parts of your day, but not allow it to become this mental stream that runs throughout your day. Mm. It's you're going to think more effectively um, because worry subconsciously, sometimes uh, we think that worry, we worry because we actually think we're achieving something by worrying that somehow we're going to worry something into different into existence. And we're not going to, it's sort of ineffective, constant planning that's not required you you need to like if you can turn your mind off a lot mm. and then cruise and then think effectively yeah and and then develop the mental strength and we're all learning this 
to be able to think about other things and um, and get in flow in other ways. That I think that's the most healthy way we can be throughout this period. Yeah, I mean, in your from reading your book, it's very clear that um, people that do surf have the opportunity to experience this sort of uh, the flow state thing. I guess there's something very meditative about being out on the waves. Um, and I guess people that, that can't surf, like myself, shouldn't be um, discouraged from reading the book in that sense, because just being in the ocean, you might also find that sort of similar state. There is something very meditative about it. But the thing that I found really interesting was the sort of creative connections that are drawn in the book between making music and, and actually being on waves or being out in the waves. I think there's a part where Jack Johnson actually talks about uh, helping himself to actually write songs when he's riding a wave. Uh, like yeah. the rhythm and stuff, and he'll actually be working out a song he's been kicking around while he's on the wave. I was interested to know, um, given that you do surf and, of course, write music, uh, do you find that? Is there something um, you know, inducive to songwriting when you're out there on the waves? Do the two sort of correlate in your brain somewhere? Well, they do. They do. It's certainly helpful. I, I think Jack just put it so well, and I love where he... Um, there's some parallels there. There's an amazing um, seminal um, surfer who was just, he came along and he was just super stylish. I guess he came along in the eighties. Um, mm. His name's Tom Curran. He's American and he's, he's also a musician, funny enough. Um, I would have loved to have got him for the book, but I couldn't track him down. <laughs> oh, really? But, um, he, you talk to his yeah. daughter, don't you? Leanne. Yeah, Leanne. Leanne was fantastic and she took it in other directions. So that was really good. But yeah. Tom Curran's a hero to a lot of a seminal surfer in terms of his style to mm -hmm. a lot of surfers. And he's Jack Johnson's hero. And um, Jack said to him, watching Tom Curran surf is like listening to a BB King guitar solo. Yeah. Because it's not, it's not full of too much filigree or too shreddy or too um, flashy. But it's it's perfect, and it shouldn't you know doesn't need to change. It's exactly what's needed, and I think I came up with a bit of a def, through doing the book actually. I came up with a bit of a an idea on style, and yeah. and that was that it, it's somebody who has a high ability, but they don't need to show everything that they can do all at once. They're in in enough flow that you're seeing flow unfold or you're hearing flow unfold and they do what is perfect for that situation. Yeah. And then being, being tasteful, almost just being tasteful. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, um, you know, that's, you know, there's many people who would say they're being tasteful, but they actually can't do more than they're doing. <laughs> but there's some people, but there's some people who are just genuine masters and they, they can't, you know, they can do more and they, but they, they're choosing yeah. to do what's right in that situation. And I feel like it's, I feel like that style thing is also people who are in the moment mm. in anything they do, you know, and there's yeah. just some people that are more connected. They can just, they're more intuitive or something naturally. Yeah. They might get up on, you know, I don't know Tom Curran. He might get on land and be a head case. Or B.B. King. B.B. Yeah. King might have been neurotic. I don't know. I don't know much about his personal life. Mm. But I know he wasn't neurotic when he was playing guitar and when sure. he was singing. I know he was in the moment doing what he was put on this planet to do in that moment. Mm. And I think, you know, that's a really special thing. And, and it doesn't have to be something, you know, for, for everyday people. It doesn't have to be something that everybody applauds you for. Mm. that that gets you in the moment it might be pottery uh, or it might be the more you can do an everyday thing like that um the better i mean it's great when it is your art or some form of art or whatever but you know making your life into an art form is is i think that's the holy grail um oh. and that's what i'm i'm trying to do that every day is is work on that within myself and, you know, do some of these things that, mm. that I'm speaking about for me, every word that I write and every word that I say, um, I guess I'm in flow when I say it, I mean it. I, I don't, I hate that thing where somebody would bullshit to sell a book and then it doesn't mean anything to them. <laughs> yeah. Sure. So these are things that I try and do. Yeah. Um, every day. 
I mean, from reading the book, you know, I don't think anyone would be surprised to learn that um, music and surfing culture are quite intertwined in lots of ways. Um, I was surprised to, to learn just how good a surfer Jack Johnson was. It sounds like he, he could have been a pro if uh, his music career didn't explode in the way it did. And, and comparatively, Kelly Slater, you know, gets up and jams with Pearl Jam and, and Ben Harper and people like that. Um, yeah. I'm interested to know, though, it seems like, do you think it's almost, it's gotten to a point now where they're so ingrained that as someone that's young and, say, getting into surfing, when they start to enter the surfing culture, because they see so many other people playing music, do you think there is, like, because it's so ingrained that they are more likely to pick up a guitar and that this sort of synergy will continue? Maybe. I mean, people who really live that life, I mean, this is the interesting thing about this corona time. Um, originally, surfers were, you know, going back to the 60s and the 70s. If My first chapter with my um, buddy Jim Banks, who's just such a legend, and he's um, 60 now. Um, he talked about those early times. I mean, surfing was a genuinely countercultural thing at that time. And those people did leave. I mean, the people who came up to the Northern Rivers and came to Byron and came to Lennox Head and lived in farmhouses um, and um, just surfed and lived off the land. It was a genuinely countercultural counter thing. Mm. But then as time progressed, um, it, you know, surfing so big and so many people live in cities and tradies and different people. They're really part of the rat race. And, and the only time that their life differs from anyone else's is in when they're in the water. Mm. Um, but um, I think this time has sort of brought back um, I, Rabbit Bartholomew when I was talking about that. You know, he's a legend elder of surfing. He's a world champ. Um, and he, he wrote a book called Busting Down the Door, which was really cool. But he said, yeah, time to get back to the 70s and, you know, read Lord of the Rings again. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, time to read a book. Mm. You know, like that idea of, of going for a surf and then sitting around and playing guitar, you know, I think maybe actually that sort of almost that cliche can actually come true for this next little while. Yeah. <laughs> if sure. people are allowed to surf. You know, I think people are out of the surf now, aren't they? I think it's no one's one point. Well, we are, yeah. <laughs> uh, people were getting fined at the pass, and um, I look on Instagram and I see in America cops chasing surfers and stuff like that. Oh, I did say okay, and yeah. not catching them. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to have to paddle after them, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I saw a guy, a guy at Malibu on a stand up paddleboarding get, getting chased by the Coast Guard, and then. <laughs> Yeah, Malibu Beach is empty now. Yeah, yeah wow. You think yeah. they'd have other things to do then, yeah. Oh, fair enough. I guess that's the world we're living in at the moment. But uh, Ash, uh, I wanted to ask you, um, have you been happy with the response to the book so far? I mean, did you, did you have an idea when you were writing it and when you published it of what you hoped people might get out of it? And has the, the feedback sort of correlated with that? Sometimes I've got comments about this book that have made me just want to fall over on the ground. And I just felt so touched and just so uh lucky lucky because what i tried to do i talked with my publishers a lot about this my original idea was surf by day jam by night i was approached to write it and oh okay. see if i wanted to write a write a book and yeah, um, i was going to ask you that you know, where it started. yeah yeah and um i had thought about it because in the past i mean my wife used to always be on me to write a book but i thought wisely and as it turns out truthfully it's too much work <laughs> because it is so much work um but um you know i occasionally with music i mean obviously being a songwriter but occasionally i'd write something once every few years for some something mm. and um my wife was like you should write you know you should write a book anyway so when that offer was on the table i i thought mm, what can i I wanted to write about something that I felt uniquely placed to write about. Yeah. And then I, I couldn't believe once we looked into it that no one had written a book about the link between surfing and music. And That's I just funny. thought, I know, yeah. yeah, some of my best friends are, you know, really well-known pro surfers. And I, I actually have met Kelly and Steph and all these people and Jack, I supported him. And yeah. so I'm uniquely placed. And I was more looking at it as, hey, I'm the good times guy. 
who goes and sur- surfs and lives the dream, surfs and plays music and parties and goes on all these trips and stuff. That's my ang- that was my angle. But by the time the book actually started, that was the first. Pretty much, I started the book as I quit drinking. Okay. So it dramatically changed the book. Um, because then it became more about self-development and, and, uh, and plotting a new course. And it became about getting out of a rut in yeah. midlife and different things. So actually as it developed, I, I wrote a lot of that personal development stuff and a lot didn't make it into the book that I wrote okay. about that stuff. Cause I, I'm really fascinated with that stuff and I, I'm really into it. I love talking about it, as you've gathered from this. In- you still weave a fair bit in there, though, the way that the interviews are woven together. I mean, there are sections for people that haven't read it yet. There are transcripts of the conversation, but there are these thoughts and inner monologues that you're having during and after these conversations that do weave in that, that, that sort of um, philosophy, you know, self-philosophy sort of stuff. Mm, mm. So, like, and that was all... It's a bit like my songwriting... I try to not do too much of that because I think, oh, you know, I don't know what people want to hear from me or, you know, I feel yeah. self-conscious about it, but I just can't help it. I, I love talking about that stuff. That's what, uh, that's what gives me meaning. You know, yeah. that's where I really, and I think that's what helps people's lives. So I have had the reaction where people have said it's a life changer, you know, especially the, the salty old sea dog or, you know, like some people who don't normally read books yeah. Or, but they're really interested in what these surfers have to say and they like music and then they don't expect to have any personal development at all. And then they start reading it and these ideas of mindfulness and flow state and working away at your passions, it awakens something in them. Yeah. And then they're like, yeah. And then, yeah. So some people have said it's been quite, I mean, I hate saying these words, but they've said it sort of, their words, not mine, have, they've said it's been quite life-changing for them. And to me, that's more important than my music. That's more important than anything that I've done. Um, I just think that's so amazing. And I just feel so lucky to have the opportunity. And, you know, if I ever could do anything more or write another book that had that effect on people, I would, I would love to do that because I don't think there's anything more important than that. Yeah, well, I mean, hopefully people that aren't into uh, well, surfing in particular still give this book a go because I think there is something that they will be able to sort of extrapolate from it in terms of, you know, just way, ways of living your life a bit better. Uh, so I do hope that is the case. Um, I mean, how did, how, how did you find, uh, obviously you've got a podcast, how did you find uh, being an interviewer throughout this process? Because throughout your 20 years in music, I imagine you've done innumerable uh, interviews about your music and been on the receiving end, but what's it like having the shoe on the other foot? Well, I had had, I was a, um, I was on Triple J as a, as right. the guy for the Roots and, Roots and All show. I so that. I had that experience. Yeah. Um, so I had had that experience, which was mortifying sometimes because I know, I think more so because I know what it's like to be on the other side and think, this guy doesn't even know, you know, who I am, you know, like, especially in radio, that's what that was like. But I, I, I do know all, all the people in these books pretty well, or they're on my radar. Yeah. Um, so it didn't feel too interviewee. I mean, some of them are really close friends. A lot of them are. And I wanted to tell their stories too. Sure. So like Rasta, especially the environmental stuff, I mean, Jack Johnson, the environmental stuff. Um, yeah. Bo Young is a really good mate that I surf with all the time. And Banksy. I already knew some of their stories that I wanted to, to get out. So yeah. that was easy. But one thing I found really humbling and really a little bit hard to take on the old ego <laughs> was um, chasing people down. Because right. normally with profile people and friends who have a lot of high profile what I pride myself on is I never ask them for anything. Sure. And I, I don't get selfies with them. Oh, I did get a selfie with Kelly Slater as soon as he came up at a gig, (laughs) (laughs) but you know, um, you know, I, I don't really like to be that guy. So I kind of had to be that guy. I sort of had to say, Hey, 
about that interview that, you know, and then follow them up. Yeah, you know, you said, and they're like, yeah, yeah, man, sorry. Uh, you know, and then, yeah, chase, 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 chase. And there were some people who are friends, good friends that could be in that, who could have been in the book that I had to chase and uh, I didn't get on to. And I just thought, oh, well, buddy, you miss out. And then... You was know, it hard to put down a list of interviewees? Was there a lot? Long... Oh, yeah, you could keep going on, yeah. yeah. And there, there was also the awareness that there's a whole young generation sure. of musical surfers that could have easily been in the book, that deserve to be in the book. But Kim Churchill I, and people like that? Oh, yeah, Kim Churchill. Yeah, he's, he's a great surfer. And I know Kim, and I've known him. I think one of his first gigs ever was with me. Sure. And, yeah, and exactly the same with Ziggy Alberts. Yes. They're two two that come to mind immediately, but there's many others. And they, you know, by some definitions, they should have been in there. But for me, it was more centered around my age group. I mean, we, oh. we balanced it out. And, you know, there, there was a lot of dudes. And that's a, it's mainly guys that I know who are surfing musicians, apart from um, Steph Gilmore. Yep. But we got, we got Jaleesa Vincent and Leanne that, uh, to get a bit more of a gender spread. And then I got Connor Coffin, who's a younger surfer. But in the main, it was more the older guys around my age that, you yeah. know, were were um, the ones that I knew who I surfed with and stuff. So that was more what it was about. Yeah. But we tried to get the spread in there as much as we could. Yeah, okay. But it leaves uh, it open for another one to get those younger dudes in there. <laughs> a sequel. Well, yeah, I mean, surely could do one uh, with all the, all the talent that's coming through. Uh, a couple of uh, final quick questions, Ash. Um, this is obviously being recorded for a Newcastle Riders Festival. Newcastle's a very proud surfing town. Have you had a chance to go for a surf here in Newey? Yeah, I have. And, you know, like I've got to meet MR, who's a legend. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you've, you've got Kim there, um, yeah, yeah, living in boy. Newcastle. Yep. And uh, another guy, um, Ben, ben Gumby, Gumbleton, I think. Gumbleton, yeah. Name. Yeah, from Booseeker. Yeah, because I've surfed in the area with him before because I took him all around Oz when he was playing solo, supporting me. Nice. Okay. And um, He's a legend. Yeah. He's such a great guy. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, for me, actually, to see Kim, here, uh, Ben, Ziggy, um, you know, just smashing it out of the park is just so amazing and, mm. and so great and so inspiring because they're really great guys too, you know, so... Yeah. Really cool to see that the, there's that next generation of um, of kind of surfers who are, um, you know, uh, yeah, different sensibility, different um, outcrop. And then there's the whole, which I don't know. That's what I didn't want to do. I know those guys. I could have done stuff about them. But then there's skegs and there's ho a whole lot of other yeah sort of uh, surf uh, people who are more in that punky kind of vibe. Surf punk um, sort of movement is quite big now, yeah. Yeah, and it's really big. But in the main, I didn't want to be that kind of journalistic guy who has to research too much because he doesn't really know about it, you know? Yeah. Like, I wanted to do mainly the stuff that I do know about that's from my heart and soul. Um, so I only went went journalistic to, to get a bit more of a spread with it, but I, I did avoid that a little bit because I just wanted it all to be really legit. Mm -hmm. from the heart you know sort of stuff sure yeah. one of the things that you ask uh, a few of the the surfers that you speak to uh, well i guess they all surf but uh one of the things you ask is what was your, has been your biggest wipeout or biggest sort yeah. of uh scary experience in the surf um i just I apologize if i'm asking for a long anecdote here but what's been your biggest wipeout okay i won't make it long <laughs> i wrote a i did write a song which was a culmination i've had a few where I think every surfer's had them when you're in giant surf and yeah, what is giant to you is in the eye of the beholder. You know, there's people who just swim at the beach who remember that wave that smashed them and they tell it like it's a 10, 10 minute hold down and you know, yeah. um, but um, sometimes when you're in the biggest surf you've ever been in, you get tired and you get silly, you might go for the wrong wave or it's a little harder to get onto waves when it's bigger. The timing changes and you actually have to be way under the wave 
and it looks like it's breaking way out to sea. You think it's going to break on your head, but you have to be right under it to catch that wave. So mm. it's a such a head, you know what, to like <laughs> to catch. So you get right under them to catch them. So you might get right under something that looks like a building and you, you think it's going to break out there and it still doesn't break. You start paddling, so counterintuitive, you think you're going to get mowed down. Yeah. And then it picks you up and you paddle hard for it. But as it happens, you still miss it. <laughs> you still don't, don't quite get on because they're moving so quick. And then you turn around and you're like, you were sure you were going to get it. And then you turn around and all you can see is the whole sea risen up like some cathedral above your head yeah. and just going to just, and you have never seen anything like that in your life in, in person. And then you're just like, <laughs> and you could you could swear or you could reach out to a god that you never believed in before but that moment of terror it is really so hard to control your emotions and not panic and take the deep breaths that you need to take <laughs> sure, sure so so that that's just the the feeling of it yeah but um you know I was gonna do. I was gonna do a song. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I don't know if we're up to that place, but I, I'm gonna change guitars because that's okay. No, we were, of course. We sort of launched into it, but um, I'm sure you can take us out with one. Yeah, I um, I'll do a song about that. Perfect. Um, because I wrote a song that it's called it's called Port Campbell, mm -hmm. and everybody thinks it's Port Campbell's down in Victoria. It's a very hardcore surf region it's almost like the australian hawaii but it's very cold okay. um so i was a friend when i was um camping in the desert of wa where there's um some really big waves we we're around the campfire literally <laughs> in the <laughs> desert um and he told me a story about a massive wave and him getting so scared and everything and the way he told the story it just really gave me the idea to write a song. So I wrote this song called Port Campbell. Yeah. All right, take it away, Ash. I know I can be a handful. Is that sounding all right? Yeah, that sounds good. Hurt you and offended more than once I'm going down to Port Campbell And I won't be back for months I paddled out on a 16 I knew I was slightly undergone. I saw fire in those death pits. I decided I'd wait out for the bomb. An hour and a half arms of spaghetti. That's when your planning starts to fade I thought I'd sit inside and jag a small one I felt so out of rhythm on that day One came my way, I grabbed my reel and I pulled in I even tried to give the lip away. There was a short hold down, but I was stoked and came up laughing. And then the whole horizon turned to black. There are times in life when we're not scared of death. I tried to find that place regulate my breath I thought of how I blew it could have made you my wife as I prepared for the whole 
down on my life. Yeah, I prepared for the hold down on my life. Well, you probably guessed that it was howling offshore. As it feathered up forever above the pack. And I paddled so hard, I thought I almost could have made it. And then I caught the lip upon my back. Well, it broke my board and leg on the first impact. Alive or dead, I could hardly tell. And panic was completely out of the question. A ragdoll in a washing machine from hell. Well, the darkness came and dragged me to the bottom. I knew that soon I would be dead. But then it let me up and I gasped up to the surface for the second of six to land upon my head. There are times in life when we're not scared of death. I tried to find that place, regulate my breath. I thought of how I blew it. Made you my wife I prepared for the hold down of my life I prepared for the hold down of my life I prepared for the hold down of my Very nice. Thank you for that, Ash. I think that's the, the first murder ballad I've heard written about a wave, about a killer wave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Almost makes yeah, you want to go in the ocean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is very murder ballad-esque. Uh, that's the first time I've heard somebody put it that way. But yeah. yeah, I've always thought of it like that. I think my parents used to listen to a lot of um, actual Australiana and stuff. So I think that's oh. my like bush ballad kind of, yeah. Yeah. The, that's all it is. It's got that uh, sense of foreboding, which is, is excellent. <laughs> yeah, it paints a picture for sure. Well, uh, thank you so much for your time, Ash, and uh, being a part of the, the online version of the Newcastle Writers Festival. Stories to you. It's been a pleasure talking to you about uh, the book. Here it is for everyone uh, that's tuned in. Surf by day, jam by night. So grab a copy. And, and like I said, you don't have to be into uh, hardcore into music or surfing to still get something out of it. There's, there's some great insights there in life. In, into life and some beautiful writing too, Ash. So I hope there is uh, more writing to come from you at some stage. But uh, yeah, thanks again for your time, mate. Well, that means a lot, Nick. Thank you so much. Uh, I went, when you said some beautiful writing, I went, oh, really? <laughs> it really is. Because you do set up the, the conversations at the start of each sort of, uh, of chapter and there really is some beautiful, very, um, very concise imagery. It's not overwritten. It's just, just paints this beautiful picture. So. Um, oh, cool. Almost made me want to pick up a board and, and get into it more. <laughs> At all, really. Oh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, thank you. And everyone that's, uh, that's watching, Ash is going to um, jump in the comments. So if you do have uh, questions for Ash, leave them in the comments under this video on Facebook and he'll jump in and answer them for you. Uh, yeah, and of course, you, if you, I know this is a tough time for everybody, but the Writers Festival is taking donations if you feel that way inclined. So jump on their website and uh, sling them a few bucks if you can. But uh, yeah, thanks again, Ash. Been great talking. Thanks. To you. Thanks for having me. <laughs>